stood there. Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host. I'm going to share with you that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is just another way to say discovered. We are uncultured, we are biased, and we are black. All right, so I know you guys are just listening to uh, this podcast, and you're like, hey, this is like a different beginning. Uh, that's because today is 420, and so we are doing something a little bit different. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to remind everybody to... Continue to subscribe to this podcast and well, on Apple and Spotify. And be sure to visit my website, kamarawilliams.com, where there's an active blog. Uh, it's used for general filler content, whatnot. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, um, especially on Apple, rather, please be sure to rate the episode. And when you rate the episode, also leave a comment. Uh, that is a great way for Apple to um, continue its algorithms and look at engagement. So please, please, please continue to rate the episode. Give your thoughts. And finally, ask is that you would share it with your friends. Sharing is caring. We say that a lot on the show. Um, please, you know, share it by text message, by social media. Say, hey, this is a great podcast. It really makes people interested. Like, man, this person's really, really pushing this show. What it is, what is this about? So, or if you share this particular section, like I love when they talked about so-and-so at this particular moment. So please, please, please continue to share the podcast. All right. We're going to give a shout out to our um, week, this week's Sponsors, uh, again, Compass Tax Advisors, uh, if you're in business for a tax attorney or you're looking just for personal taxes, um, business-wise, whatever, um, please contact them at 850-273-7193 at mycompasstax.com. Let them know that you were by Kamara Williams and the Uncultured Bias Podcast. Um, also, if you're in the Central Florida real estate market, uh, please check out Keystone Global Real Estate. They specialize in finding the right home. Um, they have... They specialize in trying to also give you the best customer service you can imagine. Uh, reach them at 407-680-8510 or www.keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And finally, uh, check out you know our, my law firm, Smith & Williams Trial Group. You can reach me at uh, swtglaw.com or um, 888-SWTGLaw or that's for 888-798-4529. That's if you're trying to get it for estate planning or real estate or whatever it is you do, um, trust me, uh, I'll be able to get you a discount since I know the owner. All right. Perfect. Great. So we got all that uh, window dressing and everything out the way. Uh, we stated this week is going to be a podcast on uh, 420, celebrating 420, as you heard from the beginning. And what I wanted to do is just do a deep dive into cannabis um, or a cannabis conversation, if you will. Uh, because this conversation can literally go in a number of different directions, and I want to break this up into several parts um, in, in a long-form conversation. Part one, we're going to be focusing on the larger aspects of these this natural narrative, and um, helping with this conversation is my friend, Valda. So, Valda, are you still here? 
I am. How you doing? I'm doing well. So Valda, you are an you are a cannabis advocate on the I guess legislative level or I guess on a lobbyist level, you could say? No, not at all. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I uh, I don't consider myself a a lobbyist. So oh, I yeah. actually am the chief marketing officer oh. for for what we call a an MSO, which is a multi-state operator. So when you look at uh, the cannabis industry today, there are a handful of companies that actually are quote unquote national, mm -hmm. but we can't say national, right? Because of the federal legislation. So we are multi-state operators. So the largest cannabis companies in the U.S. Um, you know, have a, a variety of footprints across multiple states. The one I work for um, and, and part of the leadership for is True Leave, and we happen to be in six states today. Well, first of all, thank you for coming. And what I like to do with every guest is to do a round of applause for a first-time guest. So, <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say it's funny that I'm having you on because your husband and I are close and... To have you on my podcast before I even have him on, and you know, we all know that Joe likes to give his opinion. He's not a shrinking violet in regards to that, but uh, it's funny that I'm just having his wife on first uh, before you. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think we're friends, so we can we can uh, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I only say I only say yes to friendly podcast. Right, right. <laughs> and the, the funny thing is, Joe was telling me that um, you are so busy. You're extremely yes. busy to the point where he joked, he's like, I have to get on her calendar uh, in order to see my own wife. So um, I really do appreciate you showing love and being a part of this. And I don't want to waste your time um, with this. So before we get into the weeds of it, pun intended, uh, mm -hmm. let's give the audience a brief background of who you are and how'd you get to this point in your life? Sure. So chief marketing officer of one of the largest and most successful cannabis companies in North America, for sure. Um, I've been in marketing for 24 years. So this is not new to me. I uh, started in New York, worked on some uh, household names, big consumer packaged goods brands. You might have brushed your teeth with one of our brands or washed your dishes. <laughs> some beauty products. I also worked in that industry. And then before I left uh, New York for Florida eight years ago, actually uh, worked for a beer, wine, and spirits company that you all would also know uh, in a green bottle. Hint, hint. Uh, so I'll let you all guess. And, um, you know, after all of those years doing work for known global brands, right, uh, ones that you, I wasn't coming in to create it, right? I was really coming in to kind of be a guardian of what had already been created, developed, and, um, you know, possibly improve it, but certainly grow the market. When I moved to Florida, I said, you know what? $10 billion companies plus, that's all well and good, but it wasn't as much of a challenge to me. So I really look for what I call high growth or small to medium-sized businesses. So that's really what I think, um, you know, a number of experiences in Florida before I got to True Leaf, but that's really why I'm here because it is um, an industry that's growing like wildfire. Uh, but, you know, I think that the leadership uh, certainly needs representation, right, in terms of women and minorities. And I'm sure we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy to bring, 
you know, two decades of uh, plus of marketing experience to this company uh, at this point in time in cannabis's history. So you were prior to this, you were working with mangoes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, I could, you were a heavy, to the point where, I mean, I love mangoes, you know, with my uh, Caribbean background, West Indian background, but I, to the point where you made me think, like, am I eating enough mangoes? Because you were so effective in, like, always promoting it, like, in every food group. Like, hey, I mean, every uh, p- portion of the meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you can. That's eat. right. And um, so it was, it was great. I think you were working with Aisha Curry at one point. I sure was. Yeah, she was our spokesperson for the National Mango Board. Got to meet her and her mom and dad and her sister. Yeah. So uh-huh. that was pretty cool. And so when um, you jumped from mangoes to cannabis, mm-hmm. I was like, that's a that's a different jump for Val. Yeah. Why do you think that? Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I was like, OK, um, I just you know, as I was joking with Joe when you made the jump and mm-hmm. I said it was like it was about a year now or two years. A uh, year and a half. Year so a half. you got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was joking with him. I was like, I, Valda doesn't seem like a, she seems very um, by the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Very by the book. And it's like, I, not so much of a rebel in the sense, like, you know, but like really like just Valda by the book. And I love it. I love, you know, I love your family and everything like that. So I was like, it was, it was just a great thing to see that. But I, I it caught me off guard. It's like, oh yeah, she's going to be. Oh, it did that to a lot of people. (laughs) So that's why I asked you, why do you think that? And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about um, part of what I explained even in my interview for this job, right? Is number one, also have Caribbean roots, right? So um, for me, and I always talk about my grandmother, plant-based healing Mm -hmm. has been a part of my family for generations, right? So if you take away all the noise and the drama in the media and the war on drugs and all of that, right, at the core, core of it, right, yeah. it's a plant. So whether my grandmother made teas or they mixed up something, I don't even know what it was half the time that they were giving me for my stomach feeling upset or whatever. I believe in the power of plants, number one. Number two, the mango roll, strangely enough, was it was almost destiny that led me to cannabis. And the reason I say this is I was at the mango board for almost three years, right? And in the last year I was there, or yeah, about the second half of my being there, last year and a half, every food conference that I went to in California, especially, or Chicago, the restaurant industry, chefs, mixologists, everybody was talking about infusing or using parts of can you know cannabis somehow was a um a part of the conversation Mm -hmm. so legally they couldn't necessarily do it you know they couldn't serve it at restaurants and everything but it was already from the plant-based diets right of eating and nutrition you started to hear about plant-based additives let's say and cannabis became one of those so i i really found myself really puzzled by wait a minute i'm working with mangoes and other fruit right and we are talking about healthy eating and health right in general yeah but why at every conference is some you know high profile speaker in the room was packed talking about 
changes in cannabis legislation and what this might mean for the food and beverage industry and all of that. And by the way, because we were in ca- California and cannabis is fully legal there. Um, Which I want you know, to dive into in a moment. Yeah. And so, you know, all of a sudden mango and cannabis is a thing. Yeah. Like there's an urban legend. I don't know that there's research to back this up, that if you eat mango before a session, it actually extends the high. Oh. Right. And so, you know, or you see dried mango infused with cannabis. So mango and cannabis, actually, (laughs) um, it's a natural progression because within the fruit mango, there's a terpene called myrcene. Mm -hmm. And myrcene is also found in cannabis. Uh, Okay, so, yeah. So when I went into the the interview for this this industry, and you're right, I mean, I didn't seek out cannabis, right? Um, It wasn't unfamiliar to me from both the vantage point of, I would say, you know, it's a herb. You know, as they say in the island, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and also being aware of some of the um, the, the sort of uh, chemistry or the botany of the plant, right? So the terpenes and cannabinoids and all of that, just because I'm a science person by nature, very curious. So it, it's great because also, and this is from maybe because of your PR spin mm-hmm. that you did a couple years ago. I, I believe you said at one point mango was the fastest popular growing mm-hmm fruit in the mm-hmm. country. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that was a fact. I don't know. I'm going to assume because, you know, <laughs> whatever you say is true. So we're going to say that's true. <laughs> I do my research before I speak. So. I know. I know. I'm sure at that point in time, we'd have to take a look at the latest uh, right. surveys. But yes. And I would actually say, you know, in the same frame, cannabis is probably one of the fastest growing industries in the country. So 100%. There, yeah, yeah. So there is... You know, a lot of, um, on top of the things you just mentioned, there's a lot of uh, uh, similarities and comparatives in that that role. So, although I joked with with Joe about it at the time, I mean, it made sense to me internally. It's just, you know, when I'm talking with you, and I'm not going to get into your personal history as far as your family and everything like that, because you guys are just dynamic, but it was like, man, you guys are like the... The Black Kennedys. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, but it's great. It's great. Um, so what I, I do want to do is, again, we're going to talk about a litany of different issues regarding cannabis. But I think it's important for the audience for, to lay out a history of where cannabis has, where cannabis was at um, in this country. And I think the best way to do that is to talk about um, alcohol. And if you allow me to just kind of give a quick synopsis um, to the listening public, and then we can kind of pivot off of what I just said, okay? Mm-hmm. So, sure. A lot of people don't realize, but the history of alcohol um, in this country really stems out from like World War One, right? Because, and it obviously goes further than that when the Puritans came in here and they were drinking and, and, um, and all that. And alcoholism, or alcohol, excuse me, in the Western culture has always been an accepted thought process. But I start with World War One because in 1914, um, it's, there was a spurring of calls from the nationwide, nationwide because they wanted to stop the prohibition of um, barley being used uh, it, 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 in production because they had to give um, ration, bread rations and whatnot uh, and grain to sh- uh, soldiers. And so they were telling beer companies, can you stop production on your beer and uh, turn your factories into um, you know, wartime factories. Um, so that was kind of the first inception of the 
government trying to go back in and say, hey, you know, maybe we should um, have a control over what the uh, alcohol. Well, that came to be an interesting thing because in 1920, the Congress ratified like the 18th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and making the production, import, and transfer, transport of sale of alcohol illegal nationwide. Um, you know, this was done by the Volstead Act um, designed to enforce prohibition. Now, that went into effect, and, you know, obviously, although the estimates that it, it had a verifiable impact in the consumption of liquor, um, what it did happen is that it created, as we all know, the prohibition era, and... Uh, creating like you know moonshines and people creating different industries outside of of alcohol. Um, this also began the um, raising of organized crime because that people started taking hold of this black market industry and creating resources that were outside of the government. Um, between the lack of coordination between state and federal and local authorities, it complicated enforcement initiatives. Um, in, in addition, because it was not regulated, um, there was a lot more poisoning, alcohol poisonings um, and happening because poor quality of alcoholic beverages. So the, the, so the cries for the repeal of the 18th Amendment started to increase. And that was met again in 1929 um, when, they, and when they, in fact, uh, brought back in the they legalized alcohol. Now, this is important because in 1929, you know, uh, they, the collapse of prohibition movement was, was uh, in full effect. With the onset of Great Depression, government started looking again to really tax alcohol, tax revenue. And so um, 1932, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, along with Congress, passed the 21st Amendment to not only officially uh, repeal the Volstead Act, but also allow it to be taxed. Why is that as important for in regards to cannabis? Because the Federal Bureau of Narcotics was established in 1930 to enforce legislation regarding tax products um, deriving from opium and cocoa, plant, co um, cocoa plants. The person who was appointed the commissioner of the F F uh, Federal Bureau of Narcotics was a Harold Enslinger, who was a big proponent of prohibition at the time, and he was also a lead advocate for criminalization of marijuana. Um, so this began the big public effort um, culminizing in 1937 with the, uh, with the prohibition of cannabis. Uh, the, it's called the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 and made the possession and transfer of cannabis legal in a federal level. Um, this began the stricter punishments for marijuana offenses in the 1950s. Um, and you know, leveling off of the 1937, and it made it unconstitutional. Although the Marijuana Act was made unconstitutional in 1970, it still was considered a federal one, uh, cl federal classification, um, which it remains today. Although in 2013, 13, the Obama administration said that they are going to not challenge state legalization efforts um, and easing restrictions on cannabis and its uh, medicinal efforts, it still remains to this day a Schedule One federal classification. All right. Ugh, that was a big history lesson, and I know a lot of people were like, Kamara didn't come here for that. But I felt like it was important because a lot of times people don't realize our idea of cannabis derived from the 1930s because of a particular you know, individual and grouping of people trying to you know, they were like they were upset that prohibition um, went away, 
So they're like, well, we're going to make sure that all these other, you know, things that were not deemed illegal are going to be deemed illegal, you know, mm-hmm. at the time. And it form- it fermented our idea of the of cannabis. I know I said a lot, but do you want to chime in here? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's it's important, I think, for people to understand that history, because a lot of what people really remember are probably the last 30, 40 years. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's at least, you know, current generations. And so when you look back, I mean, for sure, before prohibition, right, of alcohol, cannabis, I mean, you go back to Asia, <laughs> You know, Um, the plant itself, China, India, you know, Um, so there's a long history of of cannabis, uh, maybe in the hemp form for some, uh, you know, being present and not being kind of, uh, you know, public enemy number one. (laughs) Right. And so um, I think all of this is really a very tangled web and we're still trying to, you know, get ourselves out of it. Um, and, And there's a lot of people who at the grassroots level, have done the very hard work for decades. And I think rightfully so. You mentioned, you know, 420. Uh, this is actually the 50th anniversary of 420. And so I know a lot of folks, you know, who uh, I'll say are, are more seasoned than me, who are mm-hmm. absolutely celebrating because when you look at the recent uh, elections, right, you've seen a loosening of laws, I'll say, where more and more states are um, realizing that they, you know, that they need to make it legal in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I was thinking, I, I, again, I didn't do this in the, in the big, you know, history lesson I just gave, but um, in the 1950s, it really became a big thing. Like you just mentioned, the last 30, 40 years, but which mm-hmm. the, the 50s was, you know, se- uh, 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, what a lot of people don't realize is it, it came from an un, it came from a foreign source. Uh, people were afraid of communism. Mm-hmm. And so they aligned smoking marijuana to oh you must be a beatnik or you must be you know you're you're one of those people you're anti-establishment blah 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 and so mm-hmm. it really it came on this tone of uh, not thinking that you're you're anti-American almost mm-hmm. and they were mm-hmm. they pushed that narrative back then and a lot of people didn't realize they were being fed. Just like with, just like with um, the concept of socialism, right? They don't. Mm-hmm. They were being fed a a uh, a narrative given to them by the government um, mm-hmm. about how to feel about a particular issue. And mm-hmm. it's now, only in the last few years, where people are starting to change their ideas on the on the, um, the idea of cannabis and marijuana in general, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I know for you. It's kind of been one of the things because you're on the marketing side, mm-hmm. um, which I think it's fascinating because in the last, I think in the last ten years, we've seen more and more, you know, again easing in the idea, but we still have forty, fifty years of beer advertisements, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the things I want to play for you is um, I'm going to play a succession of anti-drug ads. And as mm-hmm. a marketing brain, I just want you to see, like, here, I think they're pretty funny to me. Uh... It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Such are the myths concerning marijuana. 
myths that lull thousands of young people into experimenting with a noxious weed. The facts are otherwise. Marijuana is an intoxicating, mind-muddling drug. Its use can lead to abnormal behavior, to psychological dependence, and to abuse of other drugs. The human brain, after all, is made for thinking, not fumigating. It's hardly a tinker toy for experimenting with drugs. This has been the public service message of the American Medical Association and your local station. If you use profit, you're not using your brain. It's yours? Yeah, I mother said she found it in your closet. I don't know, one of the guys was... Lost of what? Look, Dad, it's not... Where did you get it? Dad, Answer I... me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? I wanted to play all those ads. <laughs> I had so many, but I thought they were so, it's from the 60s, and that was one from the 80s and one from the 90s. Um, and I just think it was, it's fascinating, you know, the concerted effort in telling people, like, how destructive this particular thing is. But then when you think about it, beer ads, and I, didn't, I had them, but I'm not even going to play them, they make... You know, drinking beer, super cool. In the right mm-hmm. environment, drinking beer can be something that is a cool endeavor. And, mm-hmm. you know, it can lead you to having fun in life or getting getting the girl. You know, mm-hmm. or enjoying some time with your friends. Mm-hmm. And we've been conditioned to think, oh, yeah, that's normal. It is. I can go get some beer at, this, uh, at the supermarket right now because I want to enjoy my weekend. Mm-hmm. It's vastly different from 1930, <laughs> almost eight right. years ago, when the, you, they, if you were told people you can get beer at a supermarket, they'd be like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, but we've been conditioned through advertising to consider mm-hmm. it part of the normal um, daily um, ideal of, the, of American life. It's commercialization. Yeah. So what do you want to speak on that? Yeah. So, you know, part of the reason I enjoy marketing as well is because I get to use both the left and the right side of my brain. So when you you talk about advertising, there's absolutely there's, you know, a, a definitely some psychology involved. Right. So people who have really strong command of words and images. Right. This is your brain. This is your brain on drug. I remember I still remember that vividly. Like I probably if you could play the memory in my brain, you probably would see the video of that actual ad and the egg frying. Like I I I literally remember that. Yeah. Um, You know, and the effect that that had, um, you know, on me and you can imagine a whole generation right now. What I, I think we all tend to, those of us who are woke, <laughs> as we say, right? Yeah. Who's in control of what images I see, yeah. right? Who's in control of advertising? Well, 
today, uh, one of the things that makes marketing cannabis really hard, think about it. You don't see any TV ads. It's not allowed. Yeah. You can barely get an ad for the name of your company that happens to sell cannabis on the radio, mm-hmm. right? So you get some radio ads uh, from a social media standpoint. There, It is um, incredible, I think, how um, skilled my, my social media team is uh, in being able to, you know, stay within the standards that Facebook and, um, and Instagram set so that we don't get our page shut down, but somehow we are able to, you know, still put uh, images up and enough information and then drive people to the website for more information. But, you know, I go back to who is controlling what the American public sees and hears. And that to me is what really it has been driving um, a lot of the stigma and, um, you know, what's taken so long maybe for cannabis to, you know, get to where it is now. The advent, advent of social media, right, and digital, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this younger generation, listen, they are sharing, they're spreading, there's new stuff popping up, all, new, you know, platforms popping up all the time, podcasts, for example. So the hey, word is podcast. getting out. Yeah, <laughs> the word is getting out that, hey, you know what? You know, weed, cannabis, marijuana, whatever you call it, is not inherently evil. Yeah. You know, and, you know, my Catholic upbringing self, you know, like you say, you know, Val is pretty by the book. Yes. Anybody who has watched me over the years probably will say, whoa, she's working in cannabis. Well, you know, I mean, guess what? I do research. I do consumer research. You all would be very, maybe not surprised. I was surprised at who actually consumes cannabis as medicine, right? Or who is actually purchasing these products? Is everybody that you might, you know, see on a golf course playing tennis, you know, in the grocery store, any average person that you see, um, you know, it's, it, you know, certainly we've had our celebrities, right. Who, uh, through their music, uh, you know, have, have glorified it, let's say, uh, or even, uh, I love to say it is one, uh, <laughs> woman who, uh, is in, you know, uh, you know, she has a cookbook and uh, I, I don't want to say people's names and get people, you know, yeah. th- but you all know who I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, this one woman in particular uh, who is not of color, but who has a friend who is in the music industry. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, so she all of a sudden it's safe because she comes from that more um, wealthier, you know, environment. So I guess what I'm saying is it's fascinating to me how I think that because there isn't total control on what we uh, see and hear and consume because of the digital, the advent of, of digital media that I do think that's why the stigma is starting to be broken down and, pe- and people boots on the ground have more power now to be able to turn the tide. And that's why the votes are getting out there and the legislation is changing. So people aren't as dependent on TV advertising anymore uh, to get all of that messaging. So it's fascinating because you, you mentioned something in particular. You can't, get it on television. You can't, Mm-mm. you can't run ads. And I find it, that's incredible, but a very key poignant thing because, mm-hmm. you know, visual um, advertisement has a very impactful way. You just mentioned something that was from the nineties, mm-hmm. the, the egg ad, and you still, it brings you, I it, still remember it, it came from the recesses of your brain. That's why I played it. 
you know, because mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people listened to it like, oh, I remember that ad, you mm-hmm. know, um, because these ads have such an indelible effect in the way we see the world. Mm-hmm. Visuals, anything we see, just like movies, just like television. Mm-hmm. And I, you wonder if, in fact, how it would cha- how it would have changed in the last 20, 30 years had you been able to get this on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, like just one ad would have been like, oh, it's, you know, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Because nobody, and it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just saying it's like alcohol. Right. So, right. I mean, anything, depending on how you use it, depending on what type, depending on how much you consume. Mm-hmm. Right. People talk about, you know, marijuana like it's one type. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's so much variety. This is this is the geek and the science person in me, but my goodness, I mean, you're not talking about one type that everybody's consuming, right? So depending on uh it and it does have, uh, you know, there is there are differences in our individual bodies and our physiology, right? So, you know, what might work for one person is not going to work for another. Right. So But but they don't allow the research, Kamara. So that's my other big thing if I had to wave my flag is I love these folks that want to argue and tell you that it's inherently bad. Have you done the research? Mm-hmm. Where is it? No, they, back it up. They don't have they don't have the the research. And there's there's no real number behind or real reason behind why it's not legalized. Outside of the fact, it's just a, it's a messaging from the old guard. Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody in their right mind thinks, oh, somebody's going to die from drinking beer. Nobody thinks alcoholism is going to happen from drinking beer. But there are higher chances of you becoming addicted to alcohol or, you know, dr- drunk driving than you being, you know, getting being, a, 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 um, you know, mentally incapable of functioning behind a wheel uh, for, for a, a smoking marijuana or however you decide to consume it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's definitely studies, yes, on the effects, for example, of alcohol on your liver. Yeah. Right. Which is why, yep, there are, you know, you try to put some guardrails on up and the alcohol industry will say drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I worked in the industry. I'm not anti-alcohol. Right. But I'm also not drinking, <laughs> you know, 10 bottles of beer a day. Right. 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 And jumping in my car, driving my kid to school and, you know, all of that. So, it, you know, it's it's about um, allowing adults, right, right, to make decisions for themselves that are better for them. And I, for sure, I'm protecting my liver, my liver. So, right. So it, I'm, I, mine is, is probably less usage than a lot of other people, but, you know, let us do the research is what I say, you know, and, and let's find out the, the truth. Let's get the facts. And the one thing I want to share, I don't think a lot of people know Israel has the greatest body of cannabis research in the world. Hmm. I didn't, I did not know that. A lot of people don't know that. (laughs) So you've got Israel as well as uh, several countries in uh, Europe as well that are conducting research. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, there is more of a focus um, for sure on the medicinal, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, side of it. Uh, So I'm really encouraged by that. But to think, um, especially how consumer driven and capitalist uh, the United States is, right, to think that this hasn't been worked out yet is what I want to say, right? Among the, the political um, bodies because to they say. They haven't figured out how yeah. to make money. They haven't figured out really how to tax it, right? Because. The states, the state. Oh, they figured out how to I'm tax it. Federal, Hold on. Federally, federal wise. Oh, okay. Federal. Yeah. I mean, the 280E is the, the biggest, you know, that's the tax you know, you can look it up and, and I'm not, I'm definitely not a tax attorney and I'm not an attorney at all. Um, but 280E 
is a huge tax on um, cannabis uh, companies. And so that I think is, um, if you look at a cannabis company that's profitable, you got to applaud them because that 280E really takes a big chunk out of um, the revenue um, piece that, that we generate. Now, that said, the states have realized how profitable it is. And in Absolutely. fact, I think that's probably why it's growing as well. Yeah, um, especially in Colorado and, and in um, California. We'll get, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so is there a conspiracy? I feel like there's a big conspiracy. <laughs> Lob- no, I'm serious. I know you're not a lobbyist. I, well, I'm not a lobbyist, but I'm also not a conspiracy theorist. Okay. So I tell people yeah. in my family, people I work with, okay. I am not the one, I know. you know, but, you know, folks are like, well, put that, you know, over your camera on your laptop, close that. They could be watching. I was like, listen, let them look. Cause I'm like, there's nothing. I really don't believe that. Um, I think that there's a, certainly there, there is a, a power structure, right. Yeah. In the, in the country. And I think, Power likes to keep power. Absolutely. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a conspiracy as much as I think, you know, there are there are folks that have power and definitely an influence uh, who perhaps are trying to protect their interests. I don't know what their interests are, uh, but somehow if they can't figure out how cannabis can not get in the way of that. Right. If you think about how long it, it took for. Um, you know, cigarettes was a huge, huge industry for a long time until, you know, there was research that, that showed uh, the effects of cigarette smoking. Yeah. And so, you know, then that completely killed an industry, but it took a long time. So, you know, I think basically that's, that's all it is, is that there are folks in power with money that for sure are trying to make sure that um, whatever their portfolio is <laughs> doesn't get affected. I, so you may not want to get into it, but I'm going to say that you're mm-hmm. like you I don't know if you did this purposely to give me the alley but it was famous that the tobacco industry was really behind the anti-marijuana, you know, initiative in this country. Um, a lot of the lobbyists pushed anti-marijuana because they understood that, yes, they, the cancer sticks were not really, um, uh, yes, they were un, not only un, un, not as healthy as marijuana, but they also had more of a benefit of appeal. And mm-hmm. so there was this whole initiative, especially in the 90s. Now you don't see cigarette commercials on the, on TV anymore. They've pretty much prohibited that. But in the 90s and early 2000s, that was something that was, you know, you saw cigarette commercials. And again, it normalized the idea. For me, I think one of the big things, and you know this because you are marketing, is when you normalize a lifestyle, it creates this mental imagery of like, it's not as bad. You know, mm-hmm. Like I think about it, vodka being sh- being shown on the air, you know, or brandy or whatever, or bourbon or scotch. Like they've normalized it to where it's part of our, our, our it's part of a lifestyle, a thought process. It's almost a natural inclination. Like we have to get this if we're going to be celebratory. When you attach that, when you attach a the natural inclination of celebratory and it's part of our natural lifestyle, people buy in. And I think that's one of the things that the cigarette company or tobacco company knew that, you know, they had to uh, um, not make sure that it didn't get part of the national lifestyle of people. One more thing about this point. I was reading something how um, it was really big in the 1950s and 60s. Tobacco companies would often push in the movies to have their product shown, or so an actress or an actor smoking in the, in the movie. 
right? And someone who was, had a big stature because it was like, oh, so-and-so is smoking, that mm-hmm. makes them cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it made, them like, it made it a natural inclination of a lifestyle. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that, again, it had an internal effect on how we viewed the product. Because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, after sex, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke a cigarette, you know? Mm-hmm. After, mm-hmm. I, after a long, stressful day, I'm going to smoke a cigarette, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it became something like, this is just natural. Mm-hmm. Once you do that with cannabis, like, oh, after a long, stressful day, I'm going to go ahead and just, I'm going to indulge in something, uh, a cannabis product. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I tell you, soccer moms definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it's one of those like that I'm seeing. And, and to that point, it's um, it's a combination of things, right? It is also uh, one of the biggest myths, I think, about cannabis as well is that the way people consume it is prim- is only through smoking. Yeah. Okay, so, you know. I, I wouldn't do the industry, uh, um, you know, I'd do the industry a disservice if I came on here and didn't talk about as well a lot of the innovation that's going on. So, you know, you start with this plant and yes, what most people see and think of, and it is a big part of um, what people are buying. They're buying the actual dried, the flower, yeah. right? That's cured and dried. And so um, people smoke. But there's a whole universe of people as well that are only consuming or primarily consuming via edibles, right? Or tinctures, right? So they're adding it to their food Mm. as well. So there's a whole cooking with cannabis thing happening right now. There's uh, beverage infusions, right? Where you can convert a a water bottle or, you know, put some of your medicine in coffee or tea, right? Um, You know, so the, the, the industry, again, I... I always applaud the activists, the, the boots on the ground folks, because they fought the good fight. But then also the people that decided to take that risk with them also have amazing testimonials, which is what leads me to believe that if the research was done, a lot of these folks that, you know, want to say it's inherently bad and, you know, not good for you would be proven so wrong because, it has absolutely helped a lot of people's lives and it's everything from uh, mental health, right. To um, physical, right. Pain management, people who, or even your appetite, people who've gone through, who are going through cancer. Right. right? Um, You know, and I actually have somebody very dear to me right now. She's um, battling um, a cancer diagnosis and she says, Hey Val, you know, somebody actually has been sending me stuff with THC and it helps. I'm like, I know it does. And I'm really glad they are. I'm not the one sending it to her, but you know, she knows I work in the industry and she told me about it. So it's one of those where it's almost irresponsible, I guess I want to say, of our, our leadership and even of the medical community to not really allow the research to happen that would prove you know, um, where this, you know, where you draw the line from a safety standpoint or not. Um, there are some really amazing, uh, people as well who are doctors, medical doctors. I like to call out the knock, the Knox sisters. If you don't know about them, they are black. (laughs) Um, you know, one of them actually shares Duke, I think one or maybe both, but for sure one that I am uh, connected to on, on LinkedIn is a Duke alum as well. And, um, you know, they really do lecture on the endocannabinoid system, right? So our bodies and, and the thing that, that really just drew me to like, listen to them all the time is I didn't even realize that when you go to medical school, the endocannabinoid system 
it wasn't talked about. So you talk about your respiratory system, you talk about, I mean, it is a literal system within your body, you know, within your body that uh, cannabis, those connectors, right, um, do influence other systems in your body. I don't know how to spell that. Endo. I'll put it in the, um, in, in the comment section. Endo. Cannabinoid, right? Um, but yeah, so if you look up the endocannabinoid system, I'm sure that you would probably see um, Dr. Rachel Knox and her sister um, and maybe even their mom talking about it. But it's fascinating to me because, again, it is an actual system in your body that, um, you know, is beneficial and, and, and the medical community should be teaching it in, in med school, right? And, and, and so from that, there should be research on, on cannabis as well. For those who are trying to figure it out, is E-N-D-O-C-A-N-N-A-B-I-N-O-I-D system. So mm-hmm. endocannabinoid system. That's fantastic. I didn't even know that. Now I'm going to go mm-hmm. do some research on it. Um, yeah. I also shared, by the way, because um, the, the 280E, uh, there's a white paper on that, but that is actually a, um, you know, it is a tax code that mm-hmm. does affect um, cannabis businesses. So if there's anybody that's listening and interested in, um, you know, starting a cannabis business, they should be aware of that because the effective tax rate is about 70% mm. versus 30% for non-cannabis businesses. Wow. 70, wow. 70%. Mm-hmm. And it's in that, that link that I, if you want to put yeah. it on your website as well, yeah, put it on your um, you can share that uh, with folks. But yeah, so that, that is one of the things I think when you, uh, when people look at how uh, maybe how much cannabis is being sold and you see the revenue numbers for a lot of these cannabis companies, well, some of them are simply not profitable, right? right? If your tax, if, if your, your tax is 70%, my goodness, your gross, your gross income, right? It's a lot. So let's get into that because again, you know, the prohibitive nature of uh, getting into the industry that for a lot, large point of it was targeting black and brown or poor individuals who were selling it off market. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like it was in Prohibition era, era. Mm-hmm. And then the government made sure that they cut down on that. Now they've opened up the, the reins. Mm-hmm. And even to be profitable in it, it's still a very tough hill. So it's like. Like that to me, it's, it's, isn't that a little bit uh, pejorative in the sense like the thing that we were getting taxed with and the 70% of our jails are being filled up in now it's free and not only retroactively people are not being released, but what they should be, um, in California, they have released some, but in the same now it's like, oh, I'm going to join this industry that was, that I know so much about because of my dealing on the street level. I can't even do that because it's. All, all the regulations that go along with it, and the tax, um, and, and and the tax initiatives that that derail profit. Mm-hmm. Do you think about that often? I do, and I, you know, and this is where, and and I talk to a lot of young people even uh, be, about this, right? So they, oh my gosh, you know, wow, your mom, like my kids, you know, friends, your mom works in cannabis. Like they think I'm the coolest person in the world. Right. Right. And I said, just tell them all there's no free product giveaways, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, number one. And number two, we're not at work uh, smoking. Right. Right. So I just, just, I want to start there. But besides that, I tell folks to think about the entire um broad the broad range of the industry and what do i mean by that 
there's an entire supply chain, right? So a lot of times people think, oh, I want to own a dispensary, right? So I'm going to create a brand and it's going to be outside the dispensary. People are going to come in. The vibe is going to be right. The music is on, you know, builds community. Yeah, that's one side of the industry, but somebody has to grow it, right? Mm -hmm. Are we necessarily looking at owning land um, so that we can actually be the cultivators, right? Um, If you don't want to do that, because that also has a very steep startup cost, right? How many people own acreage and can put up buildings, (laughs) right, with the technology um, that would keep them... um, you know, keep the plant safe, let's say from uh, pests, right? So, um, you know, in, a, in all legal markets, um, you know, the cannabis is actually tested before we sell it. So it goes to third party um, outside labs to make sure that it's safe for consumption, right? So, you know, even that, as I mentioned it, maybe if your skill is more in uh, chemistry and biology, you should look at going into a research and development role or starting up your own business, your own lab, right? That actually tests the product that the, um, mm. that the, uh, cannabis companies have to send to, to be cleared for sale, right? right? They get paid a good amount. Right. Maybe what your, your skill is, is art and design, right? We're always looking for really cool packaging for our brands. Like how does our brand stand out? Maybe your company actually creates labels and jars and, cool, you know, things for people to put their, their joints in or, or carry it around, you know, in their purse and in states that are adult use, whatever. I mean, there's just so many parts of, Mm. I guess what I'm saying is cannabis right now is big business, right? It is not whatever that Netflix show was, you know, it's not that, that movie, you know, it's not the image that you saw of it. It is everything from for real, for real, like millions of acres, right. Of, um, grow, right? So there's a huge farms, I'll call them quote unquote, um, including indoor mm-hmm. that produce the, the, the origin of all of the products, the flour. Yeah. And then there's all these processes and machines and input and everything else before you actually receive it at the dispensary. So there's ways to make money along that entire chain that that's not growing it and also is not owning the dispensary as a retail store. So are we thinking about how we tap into the industry and the industry also understands that it is, um, you know, the folks who were most effective, negatively affected by the war on drugs um, are not benefiting. We know that because, you know, of starting in in states, including Florida, there weren't that many black folk that could start. I mean, come on, you're talking about, (laughs) you know, at least six figures, you know, of your own, you know, who has that? How many people have that laying around of color? Yeah, liquid, right. To get. Right. Yeah. Even even just to get the license. Yeah. OK, so the startup cost for for, you know, and, you know, a, you know, fully vertical company is, is very, very high. But I do think that there are parts uh, along the chain that that the industry needs that maybe a lot of us need to look at and can absolutely tap into more of our talents. And I mentioned a few, like whether it's creative and design or if it's, um you know, science, right. And technology, legal, um, huh? Legal, legal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just so much, I just, I could talk about this. I literally probably need to create a, a lecture and maybe go do a Ted talk on this, but you can come back on the podcast. 
<laughs> okay. I mean, it is, it is big business. It's yeah. real business. You know, it is not little mom and pop anymore. And I think just like if you were to think about, you know, how you could help out Nike or, or Coca-Cola with design and things like that, well, you can do that with the cannabis industry. Cause I don't think, um, you know, that we're there yet in terms of brand and design and all of that. We're not there yet because you think about it as alcohol industry has been a marketing industry for the last 70, 80 years. Mm-hmm. We are just now on the bottom, still ground floor. Although it's states are still not a lot of states have legalized. I think we're about 20, 30 years from it to being to where it can, where it's going to be as far as alcohol is concerned. Mm-hmm. And I think for those who are still interested, there, to your point, there are many different ways to still get into the system. Um, I was I, there was a an attorney here in Florida, actually he's a big attorney nationally, who was a big proponent of it 45 years ago in Florida, who pushed for the you know medical marijuana. And what I would tell people is that, yeah, he's a big push for it because he actually has, he's a, he's worth like over seven, 700 something million dollars. Um, mm-hmm. He has one of the biggest pe- personal injury firms in the country. I'm not going to say his name because he doesn't get free promo here. Uh, but, <laughs> but he also, what people didn't realize is that he has acreage to your point and he was pushing it because he's like, I already have the factory set up. I already have the licensure get ready. I have the money to push for licensure. I have, all this thing set up. So, yeah, I need it to be legalized because I can utilize these things in the factory and I can get the ground running and really, uh, quote unquote, be a capitalist with this new age industry um, that, you know, a lot of people aren't, don't have the capability of doing. So, um, but on the other side, there's people on the lower level that you can still make money. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about California and Colorado. Okay. Um, one of the things I find fascinating about California is that now people can literally, we talked about the grocery store, people can walk up to the grocery store to get a beer. In California, they're not that far off from it. They've totally decriminalized it um, to the point where you can, you don't even need, um, is that your phone? I'm sorry? Is that your phone? Oh. Uh-uh. uh-uh. Okay. Um, you, you don't even need, oh, what is that sound? You hear the sound? No, I oh. don't. Oh. It's okay. It was just my headphones. All right. You don't okay. even need um, the uh, medical license to actually uh, go into a store and get a particular brand of cannabis. Mm-hmm. And I know there were some proponents like, oh, it's, it's increased criminality. But there's, there's really not a lot of numbers that actually show that California's criminality has actually grew, uh, has grown since they've decriminalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have shown revenues in certain industries go up. And same thing in Colorado. Do you agree, agree to that? or? Do you that? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, um, I haven't, uh, because, you know, the states that we're in, I mean, we are in California, but we have like one location there. So I don't focus as much on California and we don't have a presence in Colorado. But what I would say, for example, so Massachusetts is also um, has an adult use market, right? So I think there are more and more states that are moving in the direction of a California and a Colorado. And I have to believe that public safety, (laughs) you know, is an aspect of what they considered before um, the state legislatures took that um, decision on. So, you know, the one that I like to point to, right. So I used to travel to Amsterdam all the time. So this may be another hint for who I worked for, but I used to travel to Amsterdam all the time on business and, I'm sure it is well known. Amsterdam has had coffee shops, right? right. And we're not talking about Starbucks right. Right. <laughs> and Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and 
I was never unsafe while I was there. Right. Right. So, you know, you're talking about, again, it's, it's, there's always this debate of, um, for folks of, you know, is it better to legalize certain things or, or not? Um, and, and, you know, what's the risk? It's, there's a risk reward, I think, equation that people look at. And I just always like to turn to some of those places like a California to your point. Um, but Amsterdam to me, you know, people are doing, you know, they're going about their everyday lives. Um, you know, kids are walking to school, there's coffee shops all over, you know, the city, whatever. And they don't, they don't have the crime issue. So it's been legal there forever and you can just walk in and buy it just like you would a cup of coffee. Um, and, and they're not having those, but now you could argue that, well, that's a smaller country and whatever. We've got our own history and everything else, but maybe some of the danger uh, that was created was because people had to go through so many motions just to, you know, it was almost like a game, right. To hide from the cops, <laughs> you know? So we, we created, um, I call it this energy around it. Um, you know, that led people to, uh, try to protect themselves, right. Protect that little bit of earnings that they were getting. And, and I always say this because, um, what's fascinating to me as well is the folks that were incarcerated, the small amount that they were incarcerated for, you know, you're talking about a dime bag or whatever, you know, a few, I mean, at the end of the day, when I look at the volume of cannabis that is sold, it is mind boggling. Like that is what blows my mind more than anything else. So I don't see an increase in criminality or an increase in, um, you know, uh, you know, lack of public safety in those uh, states that you mentioned um, being attributed to that. I want to talk to ask you about your being a black woman, person of color mm-hmm. in this industry, high, mm-hmm. pretty high level um, position. Um, do you see... Do you see a lot of yourself in there? And no, there aren't that many of us. How is there? Re- Talk to me about that. Yeah, there aren't that many of us, and it's funny because a few of us get together every now and then, and we we work for a number of different companies and we talk, right? Um, I, you know, I will say though, for the level that I'm at, I don't think cannabis is any different than any other industry. If you look at banking, or you, you know, there's lots of industries where you just don't see people of color or women. Uh, at the C-suite. So this is not unusual. However, given the history and what we've talked about, right, the folks who have been affected and that there are now uh, social equity programs out there and, you know, a lot of the companies are, you know, part of what's called the Last Prisoner Project, right, where there's expungement clinics and actually putting money behind trying to help some people um, get a better start in life. Um you know, the fact that you don't see more of us does does give me pause. I think I'm fortunate because the company I work for uh, has a female CEO, right, who actually um, is a founder and who among the founders have chosen to put a lot of our operations um, in majority minority communities. So here in Florida, Gadsden County is where we started our uh, production, right, and it's majority black we're opening in Massachusetts and uh, Holyoke is where our uh, manufacturing, our production will be. And that's a majority uh, Hispanic. I think, yeah, that's the largest minority there. But, but in any case, um, you know, we have a whole lot of room, I think, to bring some other folks in. But I, I do want to tell people, like, you got to figure out, you know, what is that? What is it that you're best at? 
and what skill are you bringing um, to the company? Because it is a big business, just like any other business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime there's, you know, uh, nine figure and ten figure amounts being made in any industry, mm-hmm. it, it turns into something its own entity of big business. It, no, mm-hmm. And it takes on the same characteristics of any other corporate America structure. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where that's where it is now. And I think a lot of people also don't like that. But, um, you know, I think then turn turn to your your local, you know, and state governments then. Right. Because the, the laws that were passed that allowed it to be legal it, is still what we have to operate under. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you had to do it all over again and you go back to how any states, Florida's, um, you know, legal marijuana, you know, medical marijuana program started, you know, could it could the laws have been written differently so that it allowed more people? right to participate sure but that's but that's not what was written and, and voted for and approved right so Ooh, so that's a that's a whole podcast in itself but you're right like people don't pay attention to the people who are writing these laws mm-hmm. and right now we're in a we're in a it doesn't matter democrat or republican because uh, california is majority democrat i'm i'm former californian mm-hmm. strong california roots um majority Democrat, but still, to your point, the laws were not written to help people, um, different classes of people to rise within the ranks of this industry. And so I'm looking here, I think in Florida, it's going to be legalized in the next four years, I would say, right? Um, And so even in that sense, once it's legalized, now you have to figure out the people who are writing the laws to ensure that any a certain capacity people could only benefit. And that is going to be the next frontier, and that is where we have to have people in the legislative house, the House and the Senate, to advocate on behalf of those who don't have a voice of their own. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was kind of my, my little soapbox to people of continually being engaged in politics of this. Um, do you see any the corporate politics that you deal with um, you mentioned this, it's kind of the same. Do you kind of feel like because you have a woman at the top of the industry, it's been relaxed or you don't, it's still, you still feel the same vestiges of pressure from other. Yeah. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to answer that, but I'm going to go back to what you were just talking about in terms of the laws. I guess I want to be really clear that what I'm saying is, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, staying close to your legislators, um, and, and, elected officials and and the details of what's being written is that what I think we see that is causing people frustration is that communities of color are not owning businesses, right? Right. So that they can then generate um, generational wealth, right? For them themselves, their families and their communities. Um, That doesn't mean that you can't work in the industry. So I'm separating the two, right? There is ownership and then there is participation, meaning, you know, actually working in the industry. So back to your question, I think it is definitely helpful, right, to have someone uh, who is a woman uh, in in leadership. Uh, This particular CEO, though, I think she is special among all of them because, um, of her, I guess, sensibilities, maybe even her upbringing. She made me laugh. She's like, I grew up in Jacksonville. Right. <laughs> I don't know what that means because I'm not a native Floridian, but it's it just... Duval, that's what she's trying to say. 
Duval, yes. So there, you know, it's certainly Jacksonville, uh, you know, has a, a sizable black population. So I'll, I, I guess that's a part of it. But, you know, she, she certainly is very um, visionary and accomplished, but I think she's got a sensibility and, and understands and can have conversation and considers all, right, in right. the decisions that she's making and has, has done some, made some really good moves. So I think it is helpful, but I'm not going to discount because there have been some uh, white males in my career mm-hmm. who actually were equal or stronger, you know, in terms of their um, sensibilities as well of, you know what, looking across their organization realizing that, you know what, and, and really asking the why to, uh, am I not seeing more, right? Because they, they think that they, you know, are abiding by, let's call it affirmative action and EEO policy and all of that, but yet you're not seeing the people that come through the door right out of college rising, right, through the ranks. The leadership all looks the same. So, you know, it is about the person, right? Not all women are like him. Um, but at the same time, and all not, not all men are like some of the, the, the men that have been influential in, in me being successful. But I think that the more, and I said this the other day as well on another um, show, that I think the more women and the more uh, people of color that come into the industry, and I always say, you know, stay with it and, and keep connected, um, then I think it gives others encouragement, right? And, and you know, they, they see the possibilities in themselves, making a difference. So, you know, I'm happy to be where I am, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't make decisions on a daily basis just for myself. All right. So I'm going to ask you about being a mother mm-hmm. and, you know, um, first of all, shout out to your son who's doing fantastic, uh, mm-hmm. in his lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my little little dude yeah. <laughs> young man now yeah. uh-huh um but you have two daughters um mm-hmm. one is already she's not yet old is not almost graduated from college right almost almost yep uh, okay so two daughters you have two in college right now and mm-hmm. one currently in high school um how is that being a parent and talking to them about cannabis and what would you say? Oh. To, what would you say to those who actually have um, children, and you're trying to figure out how to normalize normalizing it? I guess that's a yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, f- I, I will say, given the ages of my daughters, there's really not even a conversation to be had because right. it's so prevalent, <laughs> you know, among college students. Honestly, right? right? right. Um, and so there's there's not as much conversation about um, it. Except that, you know, I do make them more aware of the laws, yeah. right? So my caution, if there's any young people listening, is that, again, my mommy, mommy Valda, does not think that it is inherently bad, right? I wouldn't be working in the industry if I did. Right. I think that cannabis is a healing plant. I think it can um, also be used recreationally, you know, um, among adults, right? But... I think that the younger generation have it confused that because it's legal in multiple states, right, they have a mindset of federal or one type of law applying. And that is actually something with another group that that I work with uh, professionally. I think we're going to be, you know, they're going to be doing some work uh, with FAMU and some other HBCUs really from a um, an informational perspective, because um, 
our our folks can our young people can still be incarcerated for cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do not <laughs> do not think that you're going to take some amount and cross the Florida Georgia line. Yeah. The laws in Florida are very different than they are in Georgia. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't go on vacation to California, right? <laughs> and think that you're going to bring something back. Right. Right? With you. Right. On a flight. Because guess what? The airport is federal. Right. And it's still a Schedule 1. Okay? Yeah. So it's all of those. T- I mean, it is. It, it's crazy because, um, you know, I think the the other thing that, you know, for people who were surprised I joined the industry, you wouldn't be surprised if you if you knew how much due diligence I do on stuff, right? So for me, I, I you know, I thought about law school and thank God I didn't go. But um, you know, even <laughs> you though I'm not a lawyer, a inside. what's that? You made me cry a little bit inside. But okay. <laughs> Listen, I do, I do, I, I've been doing a risk reward cost benefit analysis my whole life on every decision I've ever made. Okay, um, but. You know, even though I'm not a lawyer, I still have to read the regulations to actually market the product because we are in multiple states. I need to know the differences even in packaging regulations between Massachusetts, Pennsylvania and Florida. Packaging like we can't put flour cannabis in a clear jar. Right. Right. In one state, but you can in another. Wow. You know, in Florida, it has to be these plastic jars so that anybody that sees it right a kid sees it or whoever that you can't see what's inside that's weird yeah well because it's purely clinical and medicinal here so you you think it's going to come in four years maybe but i'm telling you right now kamara Mm. the folks that are in office in florida they trying to keep that thing mm -mm. they're trying to keep cannabis purely medicinal at least for now and i think there's a couple of uh florida supreme court cases that may you know move that in one direction or another. Um, Yeah, it could become more restrictive or not. But in any case, my whole thing is that um, in terms of speaking to young people, while the stigma is going away, right, while it's more normalized, right, in terms of popular culture and among the general public, um, do not get, you know, multiple states legalizing it confused with you being able to move freely across this country. Absolutely. And so you you probably need to keep, as I say, read your book as my family growing up, you know, go read a book like they always like encourage education, but keep, you know, keep reading, keep being aware, understand, you know, the quantities, for example, that could get you in trouble or not. Um, Those types of things, because, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's there's still, you know, people on two different sides of this thing and you don't want to get caught up in that and say, but it's legal in this state. But but I got arrested and now they're sending me to jail. That would be tragic. Yeah. So it's that type of of conversation, which is why, though, I think, you know, if you, you take some of the good examples from alcohol is I think that's why there were rules for um adult use right there's an age that's there because you also you know um have to be able to think you know a little more critically yeah i agree you know yeah yeah and young people are just inherently um you know but for that matter as i'm talking about this so we talked about the the parallels with the alcohol industry and prohibition Truth be told, right? When I went to college, oh my God, the amount of alcohol that was consumed by people who were underage. Facts, yeah. 
and they were not arrested, right? Unless they did something really stupid, like, right. you know, unless they really, 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 really went overboard. Right. Right. And, so, it, was, and it was underage drinking. A lot of underage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was kind of depressing what she just said, but it's the fact. It's reality. It's facts. It's you facts, know, it's right. facts. And that's that. Uh, you know, I, I spit facts. That's what I tell them all. I said, yeah. listen. You know, I, I have my own, you know, perspective from my own personal health and well-being and all of that. But, you know, I understand that young people, especially once you, once they leave home, they make their own decisions on a daily basis. So you get ready for that. <laughs> you know, you're not there. You know, as I always say when they're reaching for the fire in the kitchen, when they're babies, you, you know, you tap their hand so that they know that's danger and you can save them from themselves. Right. Right. Um, you know, when kids get to the age of 18 or whatever, and they're off in college and they're looking around and, oh, okay, well, my friends are doing this, that, or the other. I'm like, you know, really, you know, be careful with that, right? Your father's an attorney and your mother's a very well-read person. So you might want <laughs> to, you might want to step back and, and at least know your environment before, before you take that leap. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the thought process of the stigma still being attached to it. I mean, I, to the point where, we have a new president in office, and even still, I don't know if you knew this, um, people weren't giving security clearances because they may have they've admitted, yeah, I've, I've smoked marijuana in the last five years. I so, thought they they were um, not going to hold people back from that. Uh, they, well, you get two different conversations. One, they were saying they were holding it, holding it back, and then someone from higher administration said, oh, we're going to relax that. It's, we're just kind of working through the, the kinks of it. Um, it's cause it's still kind of considered a schedule one on the mm-hmm. federal level. And so how, how are they going to get around it being a schedule one drug, um, and still allow people who have admitted to quote unquote, an illegal activity on the mm. federal level. So they're, mm-hmm. they're still trying to figure that out, which brings me to the point of they've got to get rid of, they've got to take it off the schedule one list. Mm-hmm. They've got to get rid of that. I think once you do that, then it allows for more states being less restrictive in the packaging and mm-hmm. different rules, right? Because now you can have more of a uniform standard. Mm-hmm. I think it makes more sense. Like if you do that, you can create a more of a uniformity in how companies market nationally. Wouldn't, mm-hmm. you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So I know you're a busy woman. So what I'm going to ask you to do is... Um, give a final thought with this caveat mm-hmm. what does cannabis mean to black culture since we're the culture bias podcast oh wow oh boy that's a hard one well you're a bright woman from Duke. Oh, you're, you're Duke. yeah but yeah but you didn't give me that question in advance normally we get, <laughs> <laughs> normally when i'm doing these uh interviews and podcasts i get the questions in advance so i can kind of prepare a little so that your audience should know this was all off the cuff and that's, all right. uh, that's why we like uh, it yeah yeah so what does cannabis mean to black culture you it was yes. a question yeah what does cannabis mean to black culture in your opinion Ooh. Cannabis to black culture. In two words or less. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just oh, joking. my god! No, no, no I'm, I'm joking. I'm just joking. Don't, you, can, you can expound upon that one. But what does cannabis mean to black culture to you? Wow. It's a conundrum. It's a conundrum. That's what you say? Yeah. That's what you that's my that's my one word. It's a conundrum, I right? Joking I was think... about the two words or less, Valda. You can. <laughs> I gave you one. Yeah, I was just joking. <laughs> you can give me more. You know what? <laughs> I really stumped you. That's great. You did stump me, but uh, but yes and no. I mean, I, I think cannabis to black culture, right? It's it's complicated. 
um, there, there, I could say it in one, in, a, in one word kind of emotions and feelings. I, you know, conundrum for me is it is, it's this complex a kind of, you know, positive and negative. It, it's, it's so layered for us, right? Right. right. Um, it's, it's both a part of our, our healing and a part of our pain. Right. Hmm. And I, and I, and I mean that, you know, I I, I think, I I think it's spiritual for us as much as it can be economic. Right. But we haven't figured it out. So that's why I say it's a conundrum. I mean, you know, it is, it's in our culture, it's ever present, um, you know, to varying degrees. It is, uh, creative inspiration, right? We know the connection of it to jazz, right. To music, to hip hop and all of that. So, you know, for sure, there are those positives, but then we know the effects that we've seen, right? We know the incarceration rates and everything. So, you know, it is one of those, um, I guess one of those elements for me, um, aspects that, you know, I feel like I could be in this job for many, many years, or at least maybe say in this industry, let me say it differently, um, be in this industry for many, many years, um, and still not unravel, right? Mm-hmm. All uh, that it has done to the black community, mm-hmm. despite my every effort and resources and network and connections. Um, you know, my hope is that it is a part of our, um, you know, that it provides a bit of an economic renaissance for our communities. Right. So, you know, absolutely would encourage some other companies to follow my company's lead. Right. And place your businesses in those areas. But importantly, let's not gentrify. Yeah. yeah. So it's certainly a part of our past, but it can be part of our uh, a more promising uh, future for black folk. If we if we get us in there, at the, you know, at the right times and at the right time and in the right spaces. And I think the time is now. So, you know, that that's the other thing is I was on a panel yesterday and one of the women said, um, and it was more focused on on women in cannabis, but her advice, and I think it was extremely poignant, was there are still some uh, women friends of hers who are considering whether they should or shouldn't enter the industry. And she said, stop hesitating, just come on in. Because if you don't get in it, right. it's going to pass you by and you're going to miss the opportunity. And how does one get in the industry? Um, I would say call you net- personally. network. I'm, I'm t- um, yeah, I'm you get, can, I'm folks can definitely reach out to me. I'm, I'm on your personal cell phone on the, on the, no, I'm joking. Okay. That <laughs> is not allowed. <laughs> that is not allowed. And I, you know, uh, but you know, I think that, you know, folks need to just continue to network and, and meet people in the industry. There's lots of groups you can find on, on social media, um, and probably, you know, other platforms, but, um, get to know the folks that are in the industry now, have the conversations, you know, share what your, your ideas and your interests and your passions are. And then, you know, maybe we can, some of us can help, uh, bring you along. I'm always willing to, um, talk to people, you know, schedule permitting, please know that if you reach out to me and I can't get back to you within 24, 48 hours, it is not because I won't. <laughs> I know it's because you are <laughs> you know? a busy woman as your Husband has stated, and it's because of that mm-hmm. I am not. I'm not going to keep you because I know 4:20 is a busy day for you. And it so, um, thank you so much. I'm going to have you back on. Okay. I want to have you back on. Uh, so I'm going to have to book you like several months in advance. But um, 
Thank you so much, Val, and I appreciate it. And when I'm up your way, we have to get dinner. I know we keep talking about it. We always talk about it. Come on up to Tallahassee. We don't know as many people up here as we did in the Orlando area. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I miss I missed, uh, you guys. And I miss Joe, you know. He's such a, a funny guy. Anyway, uh, thank you guys. If you guys love this podcast, please subscribe. Please share it with your friends, comment, and everything like that. Um, this is, again, part one of our cannabis conversation. We are going to have a part two. Uh, but in the meanwhile, thank you guys for listening to this section. And with that, we are going to ride out.